my great joy to introduce to you the three musketeers hailing from the land of remote work. We have Marissa, career coach and queen of all. We have Jeff, our sassy SEO shaman. And we have Diego, who has spent his 20s building a community of remote working lunatics. Sure, these folks are going to be the people that will get you beach commute ready. And they'll do it in the most exciting way possible. So, happy listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Nomad Experts Beach Commute podcast. Today, I am super excited to introduce you, can't speak today there, to my guest, uh, Mikhail Thorup, who is the host of the Expat Money Show. He is a nomad for many years, traveled to over 100 countries, has amazing experience helping with so many things in the nomad world. And I'm pumped to have you today. So welcome, Mikhail. Thank you very much, Marissa. You have recently been a guest on my show, so I'm really excited to kind of do a swap here I and know, come on I your show and uh, continue our conversation. So it should be good fun. Perfect. I know. Miguel and I had so much to cover. I talked, I was to an interview on his podcast. If you want to go check it out again, it's the Expat Money Show. And I was like, I have to have you on ours as well, because you have so much information that I know our listeners are going to love. But before we get into all of that, you are so helpful with taxes, business, businesses, all things living in other countries. But I want to rewind from the beginning and go back to you as a high school dropout. <laughs> so how you got from high school dropout, traveling the world, making lots of money, living everywhere, fill us in from the very beginning. Like what was happening in high school? How did you get here? Yeah. So you kind of, you, you stole the, the, the punchline to my, <laughs> my story, not really punchline, but I mean, so basically what happened was uh, when I was a child, I was diagnosed with a learning disability and yeah. I was in grade three and the teacher pulled me out of class and sat me down in a little room and the principal was there. And I think the vice principal, maybe a resource teacher, they sat me down and they said, Mikkel, Mikkel, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. And what we want to do is we want to send you to a special school, special school for special boys. And Marissa, that's what they did. Every year oh for gosh. three days, I got on a little white bus and I took the little white bus across town and I went to this quote unquote special school. Only right. problem where was, were you living at the time? Ago? So this is all back in Southwest, Southwestern Ontario, Canadian okay. born and raised. And they... The only problem was that actually wasn't really a special school at all. It was a regular school <laughs> with a special class. So you can imagine what happened. I got in a ton of fights. I got bullied. I got picked on. Now, this is no woe is me story. Poor Mikkel, poor Mikkel. Like I gave as good as I got. There's no question <laughs> about that, you know. But um, yeah, I hated school. I thought it was yeah. a horrendous experience. Um, it did not work for me at all. And uh, finished up this school, got into grade seven, went back to my neighborhood school. I thought, oh, my God, my friends, they're going to have missed me. They're going to be so excited to see me. And, you know, everything is going to go back to normal and I won't come home from school crying every day, which is basically what happened. And once again, you can probably guess what happened, you know, disappeared for three years, come back suddenly. And, you know, they start to gossip and and whisper and oh i know Mikkel. he went to some retard school 1980s totally politically correct children are very sensitive you know how they are some retard school yeah. thanks guys so um didn't go well didn't like it at all started failing stopped going failing some more send me to summer school fail that somehow squeaked into high school Started failing that, so stopped going. <laughs> and basically, by 12 years old, I just I stopped going to school. By 15, yeah. I was officially dropped out, and 
shortly after that, I started traveling and I started traveling internationally. And it was the first time in my life that I really felt that I belonged. I had an opportunity to rebuild myself based on who I am as a person opposed to, you know, this quote unquote learning disability and side note, it's dyslexia. It's a form of dyslexia. Like really we know now in the 2020s, dyslexia is not a big deal. Um, It happens all the time. It's very, very common. But in 1980s, they thought there was something totally wrong with me and pulled me out of my neighborhood school. So this was a, you know, quite jarring for me. But when I started traveling, I started meeting all these people who were living and, and learning and doing education and, and their lives completely different. And it really showed me that there's not just one way to do things. Actually, there's yeah. many, many ways to do it. And I just fell in love with traveling. I just thought, wow, this is, yeah. this is what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, I'm yeah. very blessed, you know, at 16, 17 years old, I figured out what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Well, fast forward 21 years and I'm still at it. I've been traveling <laughs> around, the, around the world for 21 years straight. I've circumnavigated the planet more than 400 times. I visited 106 countries. I've lived in nine countries and I just never stopped. So I was kind of digital nomad before there was really the digital aspect to it. You were ahead um, of your time for sure. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you know, from the business side, what I've done is really help people to do things based on my, not just my own experiences, but like, like I'm out there testing things. So I'm constantly trying different things. And then I work with the lawyers. I work with the accountants. I've had a lot of mentors in my life, which is another way that education can work. Traditional formal education from a state run school is not always the option is the best option. So I work with mentors, I work with lawyers, I ask a lot of questions, and I've built up this knowledge over 20 plus years, really organically. So there's very little people in the world who do the type of work that I do, and certainly to the same type of level. Like a lot of my clients are actually lawyers today. Lawyers come to me for legal advice, and I'm a high school (laughs) dropout. So that's kind of a weird situation. But in a nutshell, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I've got going on. Such a great story. There's a couple of pieces I want to tap into there. The first part is that self-fulfilling prophecy, just even for a second. There's so many people, like you said, it's like you're you're told you have this disability, you're told you're not going to be this. And so you do drop out and you do that. And I just want to say for anyone listening, you're, you're such an inspiring story because I've had many conversations with you. You're one of the most intelligent people that I've talked to. And when you're told these things at a young age, I love that travel has sparked and helped bring that back to life. And the other part of that that I love that I've heard from you know hundreds of digital nomad friends as well is that acceptance that you talked about, where there's so many times, you know, from the times we're kids or you know, junior high, high school, even college, you start to kind of get into this bubble of who you are, what people say you are, and it becomes who you are. And I've heard so many people really good friends of mine who never quite fit in back home. They start traveling. I get goosebumps talking about this. They're like, my people are here. Like they're free to be them. There's no prejudgments of who they are, what they do, where they came from, you know, their capabilities. So I think it's um, such an important piece of travel that not many people talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Like I don't understand how neighborhoods and and kids that you went to school with when you were a child will still remind you of stupid things you did when you were like seven years old and it's 30 years later. And it's like, I was a kid, like, leave me alone. Like, sorry, I made a mistake. 
Um, this is really bizarre. I mean, when you become an expat or a digital nomad and you start traveling, people are basing you on who you are today. So if you've worked really, really hard to be a good person and to develop yeah. yourself and build yourself <laughs> up and, and you want to showcase the world and help people, I mean, people are going to judge you on that. I mean, yeah. for me, that is awesome. Like that's a fresh start. Yeah. I've made mistakes in my life. I think everybody has made mistakes. I don't pretend to be perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, I had some pretty crummy things that happened to me when I was a child with this school in and around that. Um, you know, it was a horrendous experience and I hated it. But being judged um, because of things like that that were out of my control today, I don't think is fair. So, yeah. you know, for a lot of people out there who have had things in their life that, you know, they it's they're not responsible for or it's not their fault. I mean, becoming a digital nomad and an expat is a fresh start. You know, yeah. you have an opportunity here to create your life the way that you want it. Yeah. You get to choose everything. So that's yeah. really powerful. Yeah. It's so fun too. I think back. So, um, I forget you're in Brazil right now, by the way, for anyone listening, I am in Bulgaria right now. I got here a couple of days ago and I was at a dinner last night. There was nomads. Um, I went with one person who I knew the rest were, you know, 15 strangers. And when I was talking to my friend afterwards, not one time throughout the whole entire dinner conversation did anybody say, what do you do for a living? Mm -hmm. Which sometimes is fun to know, of course, but, um, it's one thing I actually love coming from at least the States where everyone's like, who are you? What do you do? Uh, there's no preconceived notions. And it's really about who are you? Like, what are you, what are you interested in? Where have you been? What have you traveled? There's no judgments in the same way. So anyway, this was kind of a side note of just some of the, the benefits of digital nomad. You and I can, I feel like it's sidetracked forever, but um, so exciting. I wanted to back up for a second and ask you. So you mentioned you're like high school, you started traveling. This is before the internet was what it is today, if existing like really at all in, in the same sort of way, before laptops and computers and cell phones are how they are. So can you talk us through, so you've been traveling for, you think you said like 21 years now, was that, yeah, 21 years. Um, walk me through, like, what did it look like back then? How were you paying for things? How were you living, surviving? And kind of the, the journey of what that has turned into today, because there's so many different ways to make money, to live travel is easier than ever now. But what has that journey been like for you? Yeah, I mean, the landscape was very, very different. Okay. The the <laughs> yeah. internet existed. It did certainly <laughs> exist. Like, it did. <laughs> but uh, it wasn't what it was today. I mean, we had web 1.0. I mean, there was no... Um, there was no browser-based type of applications on the internet. It was yeah. really like static websites. That was about it. Um, blogging had started, but it wasn't as prolific as it was now. So you could, uh, you can't just find information online. And we didn't have the mentality uh, for going and searching for that type of information. So when I started traveling, it was like word of mouth, mostly like where <laughs> yeah. to go on, you know, talk to different people. Um, we did a lot of like, you could say the traveler's circuit, like certainly the word digital nomad didn't exist yet. No one was no. really building businesses <laughs> online. Um, so we called ourselves backpackers. That that's was, I was a backpacker and my first trip, I did Ireland, England, and Wales. Then I went back slightly uh, shortly after that. And then I did Western Europe and North Africa for five months. And I actually, it was interesting. I ran out of money when I was in Western Europe. So <laughs> I went down to Morocco and I was like, uh -huh. I had heard that Morocco was like super cheap. And I was like, 
at this time, this is my second trip already. I was about 19 years old. Okay. And got into Morocco and I'd never seen anything like this before. I had never been to a Muslim country before. I'd never been to a developing country before or anything like that. And I went to 22 little towns and cities and villages wow. and things like that. I actually took a camel from Morocco <laughs> to Algeria. It took me so three cool. days on a camel to get to Algeria and come back. <laughs> and then started traveling. I hitchhiked through um, Central and South America, Latin America for 18 months, um, you know, in 2003. And once again, it was all word of mouth. Uh, I would send my family postcards to keep in touch, you know, once a week or once a month, I would find an internet cafe and send some emails home or something <laughs> like that. That was about it. Uh, yeah. No phone calls for money wise. I mean, I didn't start by building a business. I wasn't uh, like a young prodigy. And I mean, I worked normal, regular jobs, saved up money and then spent that money on the road. I mean, I wanted to travel and I made a lot of sacrifices in my life yeah. and I work, 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 two jobs, three jobs at a time, you know, 16, 18 hours a day for however long it took me. And when I had enough cash, I loaded up my big red backpack and I took it on the road. Oh, I love it. So you would go back home to Canada, work, save up money, or would you work on the road ever as well? No. So more of the latter. So the first trip I worked, saved up money, went overseas, then came back, worked again, traveled the five months. That was the Europe. And then when I came back that time, I was like, okay, I went back to my normal job. I lasted like one or two weeks. And I was like, <laughs> I, I hate this. I have to get out of here. <laughs> so I went out to Western Canada. I'm, I'm originally from close to Toronto, Southwestern Ontario, mm -hmm. flew out one way ticket to the ski resort, spent 18 months living in the ski resorts, saved up a um, bunch of money. And then that's when I went hitchhiking and backpacking through Latin America. Then after that, I went to New Zealand. I was one year in New Zealand, then working during that time, then flew okay. to Australia, spent three years living in Australia. Once again, working every three months, I would go on a trip. So I went to Tonga and Vanuatu. I went to Fiji. I went to Fiji like five times. Oh, I went to <laughs> Hawaii, to Singapore, to Malaysia, to the Philippines, all these places. Yeah. I follow what I affectionately call the hub and spoke model. So I pick a destination and then Love live that. there and then I travel out. Where else did I yeah. live? Uh, I lived in Singapore for a year. I lived in the Arctic for a year. I lived in Guatemala for six months. I lived in the Middle East. I was in Abu Dhabi for eight years. We've been in Panama for two years. Uh, I still keep a house in Panama, but we've been in Brazil for six months now. So yeah, all over the place. Lots of amazing, lots of stuff. <laughs> I have a zillion questions about all of those times, which I'm going to get to in a second. Uh, but real quick, backing up to this, what was the point where you started? Like, when was the shift to just kind of uh, making money in the local places that you went or kind of living and working wherever you were to really becoming the current digital nomad that you are today to say, I now have a job from my laptop online where no matter where I go, I'm still making income while I'm traveling. And what was that transition like for you? Yeah. So I probably did the working at random jobs for the first 10 years or so. Then I started getting into a lot into finance that was probably more than 10 years ago because I traded options. I traded on the derivatives markets for about seven years. Then in 2017, I got out of that and I got really into Bitcoin and things like that. Yeah. So moved a lot of my money out of the derivatives market. Uh, side note, 
Uh, I really thought that I knew what volatility was after trading <laughs> derivatives. Then I got into Bitcoin. Like, <laughs> so oh it took, uh, took um, a small amount of money, turned it into a small fortune, took a small fortune, turned it into a little bit of money. So that's kind of the how it works <laughs> with Bitcoin. But uh, I mean, I'm glad that I had that experience. I learned a lot. And now... You know, I'm I'm still into Bitcoin and things like this. Yeah, I help a lot of my clients move to digital currencies. I think that it really is the future. That's a completely different conversation we won't get into <laughs> today. But um, I started my podcast about five years ago, mm-hmm. and started talking about my experiences. You know, I had already been an entrepreneur, tried many different types of businesses, failed at many different types of businesses. Yeah, and. Um, just started talking about it. And uh, the last five years is what I've been working as a consultant to actually help people to go offshore and to, you know, register their business overseas, get into um, international banking. Uh, A lot of the immigration, I was doing a lot of immigration work myself. I've been tax-free for over 20 years now. Uh, How did I do that? Well, how did I do it legally? How did I follow all the rules? But do this, you know, I started putting these types of things into, um, a more structured fashion for right. my clients. And that's, that is the core of my business right now is yeah. consulting. I just work with high net worth individuals and I help them to move offshore. Yeah. Perfect. I love that. We definitely want to talk about some tips. I feel like we're like five steps forward. And we want to ask you a million things. I'm like, all right, I'm going to take four It's steps hard to back. cover 20 some <laughs> odd years of travel. That's a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you look at some of the places it's like, oh, Japan. Oh yeah. I've been to Japan 15 times. Oh, Germany. I've been there 30 times. I've been to South Korea 65, 60, 65 times. Um, I've been to Malaysia 20 times. So it's like, yeah, I've been to a hundred plus countries, but I've been to the same countries over and over and over and over again. When you get to about a hundred countries, it starts to become really difficult to see new places Yeah, because there's, it just gets more and more and more random. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, I've been to North Korea, I've been to Iran, I've drove across Africa, you know, I've yeah. been to Nigeria multiple times and Kenya yeah. and Uganda and all these random, random places. Once you get like Italy and France and Holland and Spain and Portugal and these types of easy places out of the way, it starts yeah. to become more difficult. Yeah. I totally agree. I think I'm at country 63 or 64 right now. And it's still, yeah, there's still lots of fun places that I want to get to, but, um, yeah, it's hard to, everybody else wants to go to the common places. I'm like, how do I get somewhere new? Like where, where are the other places? So I want to ask a couple questions just about some of those. We couldn't possibly in this hour time dig into, like you said, 20 years of travel, but let's just pick a couple of those experiences and I'd love to just hear kind of your takeaways and what you learned. So maybe I know you just breezed through, you're like, yeah, then there was eight years in the Middle East. Um, let's talk about that one to start North Korea, Iran as well, are super interesting how you ended up in Panama, Brazil, New Zealand, Australia. Um, but start with the Middle East. How did you end up there and what was your experience like? Maybe just some of your takeaways from living there for someone who hasn't Absolutely. been or spent time. I love the Middle East. I thought it was yeah. so stunning, beautiful. So yeah. I lived in Abu Dhabi. Dubai was about about an hour's drive from my house. Mm-hmm. Um, so Abu Dhabi is the capital. It's an emirate, which you can think of, uh, substitute the word emirate for state or for province. There's yeah. seven emirates in the United Arab Emirates. Dubai is one. Abu Dhabi is another. Abu Dhabi is the largest emirate. And Abu Dhabi is also the city. It's where all of the wealth is. It's where all of the oil is. It's a monarchy. The UAE is a monarchy. Um, you know, people always want to praise democracy and say how amazing democracy is. 
I mean, democracy has problems. Monarchies have problems. Lots of different governing systems do. Yeah. Um, I felt very, very free there. I, I believe it is probably the safest country in the world. And mm-hmm. I lived in Singapore, which <laughs> Singapore is like a dangerous yeah. country compared to Abu Dhabi. <laughs> wow. So, but, you know, when I tell people I lived in the Middle East, you know, even if I tell them the UAE or something, they still, they think Baghdad. Can't like, comprehend, okay, I, yeah. I, I didn't live in Baghdad. I lived in right. Abu Dhabi. It's first world country, extremely, extremely wealthy, probably yeah. w- more wealth than you will ever see anywhere else. Yeah. And um, I had a lot of friends. Uh, we had a very, very nice le- life. We had a beautiful home. Um, yeah. What else can I tell you? I mean, it's super international. It's like the, the hub of the world. They have yeah. three international airlines and I don't know how many different uh, airlines fly in, but like they have the national airline, which is yeah. um, uh, Etihad. Then they have uh, Emirates and then they have Fly Dubai, which are all international airlines and they go to every corner of the planet. So that's yeah. also how I was able to go to Europe so many times and Asia have, so yeah. many times, you know, six, six hours and you're in Europe, seven, eight hours and you're in East Asia. Maybe if you want to go yeah. to Thailand, it's like five and a half, six hours. So really, yeah. really convenient. Um, you can get great deals on the flights and they're not so expensive, even though they're five-star airlines. So that was a good experience. 90% of the population are expats. So 90, 90%, 10% wow. of the population are Emiratis. So if you're an expat, you are the majority there. Wow. You know, saying that, I mean, we're talking about Afghani construction workers and Indian taxi drivers and Filipino yeah. uh, nurses and Indian doctors and stuff like this. And, you know, Americans and Canadians who are over there, you know, working for big companies or for the oil industry yeah. or the Irish that come in as teachers for international schools, but everybody is an expat. So everybody is on an even keel. Everyone's on the same footing. So this is exactly what we were talking about earlier in the conversation about starting over. And now you get to meet all these amazing people. Like I had friends who were Indians and Filipinos and South Africans and uh, Uganda. I had friends from Uganda and it's like, everybody's on the same. One of my closest friends was from Kenya. Yeah. That's rad. Like, yeah, that is so I awesome. It. I wouldn't get that type of experience in no. Southwestern Ontario. Yeah. To me, that's almost the hardest part of going home. You're filled with one, if, if you desire to travel, it's not for everyone. Not everyone has that desire, but if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do of some sort. And to me, like you find your people when you travel and you find a diversity of not only backgrounds, different monetary backgrounds, different ethnicities, different thoughts, different beliefs. And it's so inspiring and it's so hard to go back home sometimes not that people aren't smart and brilliant and wonderful but it's it's it feels all the same to me because we're all raised in such a similar way so oh gosh yeah i just i i love that about nomading too so another question i want to ask so again we could dig into so many countries a lot of people ask me this question so i want to ask it to you is how do you choose where you're going next? And to you, I even want to put on that, you know, you've decided to stay somewhere one year, three years, eight years, you know, you're moving around, sometimes just bopping around countries, having your, your spoke, your, your hub and your spoke where you're traveling around. So for somebody listening who maybe hasn't even started traveling or is just getting started, a lot of people say like, you know, you have the whole world at your fingertips. Like Mikkel, how in the world do you choose where you want to go next or where you want to stay? So when I was a child, I started telling people that I wanted to go to every country in the world. 
And honestly, people laughed at me. They thought this was completely ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, 20 years later, I don't think really anyone's laughing. Like my goal (laughs) is to go to every single country in the world. Yeah. You know, and and it can be done. I, I mean, I have a couple of friends who have done it. And technically, I could have done it by now. Yeah. I've certainly flown enough hours and, and traveled enough. Um, I often go overseas now for business. I speak internationally. I get invited all over the world. I yep. spoke on stage in China and in Asia and Middle East in all over Latin America. I mean, people fly me around the world to speak about exactly these types of things about expat living and offshore strategies. Um, So I end up going to the same places over and over again. And I'm also not in a rush. You know, if it takes me another 20 years to go to the remaining 85 countries or whatever it is, 87, 88 countries, I'm cool with that. Like I, I don't, I don't care because there's never going to be a point in my life that I stop traveling. Yeah. Travel is part of my life. It's what I do. It's there. There is no separation of, Mikel and travel. I mean, yeah, I'm without <laughs> travel, I wouldn't exist. Like, I, oh, like who yeah. I am today is is di- directly defined Traveler. by my travel, by yeah. my experiences overseas. So that's kind of a a roundabout way of of answering your question on how I how I go about this, because it's like if I haven't been there, then the answer is yes. Like, like yeah. yes, I want <laughs> yes, to go. Yes, there. I will be there. Yes, yeah. I will join you there. Exactly. <laughs> yes, I always say the same. <laughs> So it's uh, it's pretty easy going for me. Um, as for countries to live in, I don't really give it a lot of thought. Opportunities fall into my lap, and we take them up. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm I say yes to a lot of things. I love yeah. the Middle East. I loved my experience there. My wife was there. Uh, she was in Qatar for three years, then six years in Abu Dhabi, and I was eight years in Abu Dhabi. Um, I traveled out from there, as I mentioned earlier, so that worked very well. Um, I left the UAE because I didn't like what the U.S. government was doing, and it looked like they were going to invade Iran. I was very sad with what happened uh, when they invaded Iraq and what happened to the culture and the history and all mm. the national treasures and the monuments and everything like that. They just destroyed everything. Wow. Uh, I don't agree with this. I'm very libertarian. I'm very peace-loving. I, I don't believe in invading other countries. I was quite fearful that this was going to happen. And it's not just, oh, fearful from an irrational standpoint. I mean, I was there. I saw, you know, they have military bases there. You're out at the bar. You meet people who are working on the military bases. The Italians have an Air Force base there. They're bringing in aircraft carriers. I met a senator from the United States who I talked to for two hours or something like that and talking about what was happening. I met him actually in a first class uh, lounge at the at the airport. We're yeah. waiting for flights and talk, talk, talk. And it's like, wow, I mean, this is getting pretty serious here. In the Middle East, it's it's a desert. I mean, they get all of their water from desalination. So if there's any problems with the power plants there, then there's going to be no water. The summers get so hot, it's plus 50, 55 degrees Celsius. So with yeah. an air conditioner, you're going to fry like an egg. They don't grow any of their own food. Everything is imported. And I'm like, wow, if they actually use the UAE as a staging ground for in, in invading Iran and Iran pushes back, like they also expelled all Persians from the country and they did the same with um, 
with Qatar, slightly different things. They, they, right. they thought that Qatar was supporting Hezbollah and other um, organizations like this. So they expelled all the Qataris from the country. And you're going, this is not what I signed up for at all. Um, side note, they they're, seem to be friends again, but Iran, not so much. So when we started looking for places, I wanted to, first of all, find somewhere which was safe for my family. That mm -hmm. was going to, there was no way that there was going to be any type of war that had fresh water that could grow their own fruits and vegetables, have yeah. um, meats and livestock and everything like that. And, um, and had an easy visa process. And we did a short yeah. list and Panama was the top of the list. I had been there, but it was 20 years previous. Uh, I remember having Panama. a good experience. <laughs> we packed all our stuff up, put it in a shipping container and came over. And we've yeah. been in Panama for over two years now. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. Country. Amazing. So when I come back again, there's always like a million things I want to ask you throughout all of the, the tidbits that you share. I want to go back uh, afterwards to how you met your wife, having kids on the road, a million different things. Um, but I wanted to talk, cause you just talked a lot about some really important parts of being in different countries of the hard things that are happening, the wars that are happening, the conflicts that are happening, lack of food, lack of water and things like that. So as a, as a nomad, we're going into these countries how do you try to be a citizen who is thoughtful of what's going on? How do you think about adding to the community and not just kind of chouncing through as a traveler and, you know, just spending money and not caring and, and leaving? I just think it's a really interesting topic that I don't fully have an answer to. So I'd love to just kind of hear your point of view on, on your take as you've traveled through these places and had these experiences. So I think that's one of the big differences between an expat and a digital nomad. First of all, mm -hmm. when I'm going into a country, um, I'm usually doing a residency there. I have a legal right to live and work in that country. Mm -hmm. I also think that there's a lot of differences because I'm not really just a traveler. I, I mm -hmm. usually have lots of local friends. Mm -hmm. We learn the local language whenever possible. Yeah. We really get to know the people, the culture, the history, the food, everything like this. I try to make it a really deep, meaningful connection. Take Brazil for an example here. We've been here for six months. We yeah. have tons of local friends here. We're going out. Literally, we could go out every single day of the week and meet people uh, if we wanted to. We actually purposely don't go out sometimes because we get exhausted because <laughs> we've got so many yeah. friends here. We and did our the whole episode are... trying to say, well, you know, I think people have this connotation that you're going to be lonely. You're not going to meet local friends or any friends. And I'm like, it's the opposite. You can't, you have to say no, because it's so exhausting. But can you share for a second? It's like kind of continue on. But um, for someone who might be listening who hasn't traveled yet, how, how do you make those local friends? How do you have a lineup of people that you could have dinner with every night when you just have only been in a country for a couple of months? You know, okay. So I'll, I'll answer it in two ways. Uh, 20 years ago, when I started traveling, I didn't have a lot of money. So I was always staying at youth hostels and pensions <laughs> and things like that. So you just end up meeting people in the lobbies. Now, a lot of that was other travelers and expats. Making connections with local people was a lot more difficult. Nowadays, there's always um, groups based on whatever you're into. So I mentioned yeah. earlier, I'm, I'm very libertarian and I'm libertarian with a small L, not a big L. I don't know anything about the political <laughs> party. But, you know, I believe that, you know, war is wrong and tax is wrong. And I make friends based on the same type of belief structure. Right. 
So I have a libertarian group of friends here. And this is, I'm not saying this in a political manner at all. Like, I don't really care what your politics are. Right. But for me, these are really, really important things. They're so important that I moved to a country with zero tax and no standing military. So I don't just talk about these things. I actually live them in my own life. But I met a group of- where your mouth is. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So I met a group of libertarians here, Brazilian libertarians. They're all doctors and and uh, I got three or four friends who are doctors and um, and then they introduced me to more people and then more people. So we're going out to beach, we're doing <laughs> churrasco, we're having drinks and, you know, you just start to meet more people and, and yeah. they're interested to hear about my life and I'm interested to hear, hear about their life. And, you know, you just build friendships organically based on interests. If yeah. you are into sports, uh, you'll find a WhatsApp group of people who are interested in playing sports together, or you, um, I don't know, you like board games. You'll find a board game group here that meets every week. And yeah. And then you get to meet them. And from that, that can lead to coffee. Coffee leads to (laughs) dinners. And uh, I mean, it just all happens so naturally. I mean, there's, there's websites out there that, you know, set these types of things up. There's meetup.com, there's internations, there's stuff like that. But I, I do it way more low key. I just meet yeah. someone and I just think they're interesting and, and ask them questions and build a friendship and yeah. they introduce me around and yeah. that's how it happens. And what are your thoughts, Mikhail? I know so many people it's like, okay, let's say you're like, you can go travel for a couple of years. You'll meet people on the road. But a lot of people assume like one day you'll come back because you need that community. You need your friends and family around that are going to be there forever. You need your longtime people. How have you managed, you know, as you're moving around every couple of years to make such amazing friends, have a community and then leave those people? Is it hard? Do you miss old friends? How do you keep in touch? Just share a little bit about that. I've never had a problem with this. I, first of all, I don't get homesick. Um, I've had so many incredible, amazing people in my life. I built really, really strong friendships, like personally, yeah. amazing people I've had in my life. Yeah. I've been very, very blessed. And I spend a certain amount of time with them and a certain portion of my life. And at that time, it makes sense. And when I move to another country, it's just see you later. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's just, and I make new friends. I'm a pretty intense person. You can probably imagine (laughs) I have a lot going on. I'm very excited. I'm very passionate. I'm very outgoing and I make friends very, very easily. Um, I'm very grateful and, uh, and I'm grateful to all the people that I've met in my life. And at that moment in time, we're to be together. And when we say, see you later, then that's it. And I've had people that have come back into my life and then left and then come back again. I mean, I have one friend. I remember when I lived in the ski resorts that I mentioned earlier, uh, we worked together. And then a couple years later, I was living in Melbourne. And then she was living in Melbourne and she met her husband there. And so we all became, I became friends with him and we all hung out and then she moved to Singapore. And then I moved to Singapore like a year or two <laughs> later after that. So we, we lived in the same town three times over a 20 wow. year period. And I mean, I was cool. still talking to her yesterday. So she's one of my yeah. oldest friends and you yeah. know, she's got two kids now and I've got two kids and you, you do have some friendships that continue Spend on forever and other time. ones you never talk to again. It doesn't yeah. diminish that relationship mm, you have. that. Yeah. You know, you just take things for what they are and you don't try to make them things that they're yeah. not. I mean, that's the only advice that I have. 
I love that point of view just because so many people, I love that you have just continued to travel. I've had so many people in my life say, that's nice, but when you want to do this, when you want to you know, do this job, when you want to start a family. So I actually want to talk about that. Let's transition into meeting your wife and kids on the road because that is the next stage that so many people are like, okay, but when I do that, then I'll have to go home and live quote unquote normal life. Um, so can you tell us one, where and how you met your wife and then okay. two, where and how you guys have had kids along the way and what that has been like? Sure. So uh, in a nutshell, I'm Canadian with Danish heritage. My mm-hmm. wife is from mainland China. Mm-hmm. I met her in Germany. We got married <laughs> in the Seychelles in Africa. Ooh. My daughter was born in the Middle East. Um, <laughs> we have a home in Panama. And then my son was born here in Brazil. And in two yeah. weeks, we go back to Panama. So pretty, pretty international family. At all times, there's at least three, possibly four languages spoken around the dinner table. Um, you know, my wife speaks only in Mandarin to our kids. I so speak only learn. in English to our mm-hmm. kids. Um, we have a nanny who takes, who helps take care of my daughter and speaks only Spanish. So my, my daughter is five years old. She speaks fluent mm-hmm. Mandarin, English, and Spanish. Love and it. now we're here <laughs> in Brazil. So we're learning a bit of Portuguese and my daughter's been studying a bit of Portuguese and yeah, international family. I think that, I think it's important to be international these days with language, with culture and trying mm-hmm. to understand people from different perspectives. So I homeschool my kids, educate them while on the road, while traveling. My daughter's been to 13, Brazil might be the 14th country. I'm not sure not I'd it. have to recount. Um, she has friends all over the world. She has Skype. She talks to her friends on Skype. Oh. And it's cool. Even when I say it now, like even I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. But at the same time, I'm like, it's just my normal life. That's just like how right. things forget are that for it's me. even different. Yeah. But for anyone who says, oh, you got to settle down when you want to have kids mm-hmm. and you have to go home. No, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah. I mean, we did You're birth tourism here in Brazil <laughs> and it's yeah. like, we flew down two months before my son was born and we mm-hmm. got an Airbnb. We've been in Airbnbs for six months. We're here. We went completely private. We had a private doctor, private hospital, uh, paid for everything out of pocket. We didn't use the national health care or anything like that. Uh, gave birth here. The hospital staff was amazing. They were super, super sweet. The nurses were so lovely, amazing experience. Our doctor spoke perfect English. So there was no problem with that with translation. And yeah. the the people just all around have just been so receptive to this. Mm, They're so thrilled to show us their country and uh, share with us about the music and the food and the culture. And they love that we're so interested in Brazil because it's an amazing place. Like it's just yeah, so gorgeous here. There's no lockdowns. Like where I am in Florianopolis, there's no lockdowns. There's no mandates. There's no uh, vaccine passports or anything like this. I mean, just nice, normal life. We're out there enjoying our life. I I feel really sad for people who are imprisoned in their home right now. I think this is really tragic. What do you think, Mikel, is one benefit? So if you think about how your kids are growing up compared to the way you did for your first years before you quit and left and traveled and the way most people do, obviously there's pros and cons to all parts of life. What do you think are some of the amazing benefits that your kids have just doing homeschool, living in different countries, being exposed to different cultures, both within just your family and all the people that you meet? Just if like in a nutshell, if you could say. Well, I think the language is a massive piece of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's some people out there who think that we're going to get a, a babble fish type of application <laughs> on our phone that's going to 
instantly translate everything. I mean, right. even if we do get some type of technological solution to this, I still don't think that it's going to be the same because there is something special about conversing with someone else in their language and yeah. not making them speak yours. Mm-hmm. As native English speakers, when you travel, usually you're forcing other people to speak your yeah. language. And it's it's really a privilege to, yeah. to get to know them and their situation and everything on their footing, on, yeah. on their terms. I think mm-hmm. this is really amazing. Yeah. Um, my child, children will be able to do this in multiple languages. So like I said, already three, working on their fourth language. We're not going to stop there. My daughter's mm-hmm. best friend is from Russia. So we've oh, talked cool. often about getting her a Russian tutor and trying to learn that. So I think that that is one opportunity. Um, We do, as I said, homeschooling. Homeschooling is kind of like a blanket term for any type of alternative education uh, done from the house. What we actually do is called unschooling or affectionately known as world schooling. So we educate our children while on the road. It's all interest-based learning. We really focus on three things, um, reading, writing, and spelling. And um, reading, writing, and spelling as one thing, uh, communication and basic arithmetic. Mm-hmm. Those types of things, especially with reading, writing, and spelling and arithmetic, my child will be able to teach themselves everything. So my yeah. daughter's super into singing and dancing. She's five. She's a little girl. She just loves <laughs> to dance all year, Good all age. the time. So yeah. we're, we have YouTube videos. When we were in Panama, she was going to ballet and to uh, flamenco. We had her in flamenco classes. And she loved it. You know, she just thought it was the greatest thing ever. And for as long as she likes dance, we're going to support her. Why do I need to sit her down at a desk and be like, you need to memorize the longest (laughs) river in the road and the tallest (laughs) mountain. That stuff doesn't matter anymore. I mean, children need to know how to be creative Mm -hmm. and we can't have the creativity beat out of them, which is normally what happens with state run schools. Yeah. They state-run schools are to train you how to be a good little citizen, to follow orders, and to get a job. I don't want my daughter to get a job. I mean, I want her to be an entrepreneur. She'd do whatever she wants, to be honest, and I'd be happy. But if she can create something and help people and help others in the world, well, I I think that's a really special thing. Yeah. So I think as a world-schooling, unschooling family traveling, I think they're going to have a lot of advantages. And, you know, they got a family who absolutely loves them to death and would do absolutely anything for them. Uh, I'm very fortunate as well. I have my mother who travels with me. I brought my mother over to help take care of my kids. So my mom's been traveling with us for (laughs) over five years now. So we're a big family. So, you know, anyone who says, oh, you don't get to see your parents. I'm going to miss my parents. My mom lives in my house. So (laughs) (laughs) traveling with you. I joke. I think I see my family said the same thing as well. When I started traveling, like we're never going to see you, but you know, so I'm from the U S I'm from Atlanta and I lived in New York. I lived in LA and I had two weeks of vacation each year with my corporate job. And you know, maybe they'd come visit me for a weekend, but I didn't see them all that often. And now I go home for a month if I want to, or I leave and I come back for however long. And I feel like I see them more than I do, but yeah, there is this connotation, but also thank you for sharing that about your children and the world schooling. I think it's so inspiring as I look at 
you know, the education system and what I learned of so many useless things. Of course, there's some useful things of, of you know, how you're learning and all of that. But um, I think this new model is, is very exciting to me personally. Anyway, I'm very fascinated by it and hope to do yeah. it one day as well. So it's very well, cool. and I'll, I'll chime in here for a little bit. I feel so passionate about this and I'm so uh, excited about education that I've actually yeah. partnered with another individual. We're currently, as we speak, building an online school. So it's an online high school. It's going to be based on libertarian values and entrepreneurship. Cool. Once again, not a political ideology <laughs> by any means, right. not political, but you know, personal responsibility, respect, things like this. Uh, my business partner, his name is Michael Strong. He's been in the alternative education space for over 30 years. He built Montessori's. He's been featured in you know, news outlets. And uh, we've just recently partnered together. He has a domestic online school. We're taking a lot of those concepts. We're moving them to the international market because for expat families, there's a lot of problems. Actually, what happens with expats usually is mom gets a job overseas or dad gets a job overseas. They move over there. They might be there for two years, three years. Maybe right. he's, he or she is an exec and then they get posted somewhere else and they have to go somewhere else. Well, that can be quite jarring for the kids who have built up a group of friends and now they yeah. have to go into a new school and have new friends. So this is going to solve that problem because the classrooms stay the same. Also, it's going to have a lot of the, the ties to language and things that are more appropriate and applicable for expat families. Anyways, if you guys go to, I mean, if you send me an email at Mikkel at expatmoney.io, I can get you more information, or we'll be putting out information on my newsletter. If you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you'll be able to subscribe to that for free, and I'll try to get you some more information. We'll be building a new website. We'll be doing anything and everything for this, but that's just kind of a, a teaser yeah. of, of how it. passionate I am about <laughs> this and yeah. how important education is for me. Yeah, I love Mikkel. You really do put like, everything behind what you speak about. You're like, not only am I talking about this, I am creating and making it happen and raising yeah. my kids this way. It's, it's yeah. so cool. I try to help people by inspiring and finding real life solutions. So I don't sit yeah. around all day long complaining <laughs> about what's wrong with the world. No. You know, you speak to anybody who knows me. I'm really upbeat. I'm really like happy and passionate. I wake up with a smile in my in the morning. And I'm just so excited to get to work on these things and help as many people as possible. I run a huge newsletter. I get literally millions of people a year who read and listen to my work. Um, I'm very fortunate for this. I'm very thankful and grateful for every single yeah. person who, who follows my work. And I'm just out there all day long trying <laughs> to help people and, and have the solutions. Yeah. It's so fun for me to hear. I do a lot of career coaching as well for people who are exactly the opposite of you where they're stuck in a job or a place mostly or, or both, let's say, but it's like, I don't, I know this isn't right, but I don't know what I want to do. And sometimes it takes, you know, if, if you could rewind 20 years, you never would have known that this is what you would be so excited to talk about. But as you live and you do things and you have experiences, you, you get inspired and you learn. And I just love hearing this from you because I just want other people to know, you know, I feel the same about the work that I do sharing about traveling and digital nomad life and helping people find careers that they can do while traveling because it's, it's so much of your life. And if you're doing something you love, which I hear from you, I just want people listening to say like, it is possible. Um, and you're a great example of that. Well, thank um, you very much. And it is important work that you do as well, because that is one of the biggest things is, you know, how do I have the money? How do I transfer? Yeah. How do I build my income online? I think yeah. that the work that you do is really, really important. And that's why I'm so grateful to be on your show and kind of share my little piece 
of yeah. of the story because there's so yeah. many things that there's are going so on parts. and it's so worthwhile to work with a professional like you who have been through this type of thing and and can clearly show a, a stepping stone because it's not magic what we do is not no. magic you know <laughs> no. it's like there's formulas and there's many ways to get there but there's more efficient and effective ways and why why take 20 years to figure this <laughs> stuff out like me you know, and you can work with someone like you and get it done yeah, as fast as possible. It's, uh, it's, it's a good thing, the, the work you do. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. So let's talk about your work. Speaking of, um, thank you for sharing that about mine. I know you've been through our Go Remote Employment course and um, yeah, love, we love sharing it for anyone who's looking to get a remote job. It's a quick and easy way before you start businesses like Mikkel, which can take time. It's a great way to get started quickly, but let's talk about for anyone listening, uh, who is thinking a lot of, I would say a lot of what holds people back is a lot of confusion around, okay, if I work for a company or if I have a business and I want to be a digital nomad or travel or go live in a different country for a year or two, like you've done, you know, there's all different ways. A lot of people get really, really held up by the logistics of taxes and corporations and businesses. So um, I'll kind of put out a couple of things and I'll let you run with it because you know far more than even I do. Um, so I know for even thinking about a company. So a lot of what we teach at Beach Commute to Start is the easiest way is like go work for an existing company and travel while you get a paycheck. But a lot of people and a lot of companies as well say, well, like, if you're not at your home address, if you're traveling the world, it has all sorts of tax implications and we can't pay you and da 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 da. Or maybe someone who's in a country and wants to work for someone you know who works in a different country and doesn't know how to do that, or even just figuring out their own taxes as they travel. So this is a big, broad topic. We couldn't possibly <laughs> cover everything in like the, the the minutes that we'll talk about this. So yeah, no doubt. if you could give a high line of like, just what you think would be really valuable for people to kind of understand just generally about these topics, maybe we'll dig in. And then of course we'll share where they can find so much more information from you about this. Sure. Okay. So start off, if you are interested in the topics that we're about to discuss, pick up my book. <laughs> if you go to Amazon, I wrote a book. It's called Expat Secrets, How to Pay Zero Taxes, Live Overseas, and Make Giant Piles of Money. Super humble title. I know, Marissa, I'm a very humble <laughs> so, kind of guy. So humble, my cow. So humble, so humble. <laughs> I like giant piles of money. I think that's like a really good uh, visual. But really, yeah. that's the case. I mean, I help people to reduce their taxes to zero or as close to zero as possible. And I don't do it with loopholes. I don't do it with tricks or gadgets. I mean, I do it in a completely legal way and I follow the tax code and I work with the licensed professionals like the CPAs and accountants. And on that same note, I am not a CPA. I'm not a lawyer. I'm going to discuss with you a few things here, and these are for educational purposes only, and it's your responsibility to go out there and, and check. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Exactly. <laughs> Love yeah. it. Uh, consider yourself disclaimed. So, <laughs> all right. Disclaimed. So let, let's dump, jump into the taxes a little bit, because I think it is very interesting. You know, maybe you're sitting here, you're listening to this episode, and you're in, um, you're in New York, or you're in California, you're in LA. Let, let's Let's pick on California. Always fun to pick on California. <laughs> I used to live there. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah, so even better. California has some pretty aggressive tax laws. So, okay, you're, we're going to have to deal with taxes on three sides here. We're going to have to deal with your state tax. We have to deal with your federal tax. And then we have to deal with the tax of the country that you're going to live in. So let's start at the beginning. 
if you live in Los Angeles and you try to go to a tax-free country directly, we might be able to get rid of your federal tax, but your state can still come after you afterwards. They're going to still say that you, you have a primary residence here or you still have a, an intent to return to the state. Therefore, we're going to continue to tax you. So usually what I do with my clients first is I'm moving them to Florida or to Texas. And I don't mean like we pretend to move them. I mean, <laughs> we move them. Like you have to wow, actually okay. move. So we try to change, change over your driver's license. You're registered to vote. If you have a home in California, in this example, you sell that and you buy a new place or you rent in Florida, uh, Florida, Texas, wherever any of these zero state taxes. Um, if you are religious and you go to church, well, go to church in your new place. If you play sports, if you go to the gym, if you have a library, there's like, you know, a checklist of 20, 30 things. If you guys want this, once again, just go to expatmoneyshow.com, shoot me an email. I'll, I'll try to list some of this stuff out for you. But the point is that what we need to do is really physically move you from one of these high state taxes to a zero state tax. And once we file your taxes and you get accepted, then we can try to move you overseas. So state tax, boom, done, check mark. Okay, federal tax. The IRS has a program. It's called the Foreign Earned Income Exclusion. You can look it up, irs.gov, search F-E-I-E, -E, Foreign Earned Income Exclusion. What it's going to do is going to uh, shelter the first $108,700. So you're basically not taxed on that first amount of money. Now, there are some caveats here. I mean, once again, you really have to live in another country. So there's two ways that you qualify it. One is called the physical presence test. The other is called the bona fide residency test. Personally, I really like the physical presence test. And I like it because yeah, it is a lot math. of friends who do that. Math is easy. It's very <laughs> straightforward. You know, you have to be in a foreign country for 330 days. That yeah. means... Uh, sailing around the world and being in international waters does not count. Uh, being in an airplane and traveling internationally that day does not count. Your boots have to be on the ground in a foreign country for a minimum of 330 days, which still allows you to you know, go back to the United States for 35 days. And once again, we're just talking about Americans because the majority of my clients are Americans. Mm -hmm. uh, for Canadians, Australians, New Zealanders, it's really easy. Basically, you just register yourself as a non-resident. You pay all appropriate taxes that are owed. You become a tax resident in another country and you move there. There you go. Taxes done. You've gotten rid of your taxes. That's it's the Americans <laughs> that is, is the tricky oh. one because Americans yeah. tax on worldwide income. Back to foreign earned income exclusion. You either prove yourself on the physical presence test, or you do the bona fide residency test. Usually we do bona fide residency on year two or year three. Um, it's more subjective. It's very similar to the same type of thing that we described for moving you from California or New York to Florida or Texas. Uh, strong ties to the community. Um, you have to have a residency. You have to spend a certain amount of days there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This will allow you to go back to the state for slightly longer periods of time, but it might affect the deduction that you have on, it's kind of does a prorated basis depending on your work. Anyways, I won't get into too much of the weeds. Mm -hmm. This is just 40,000 foot view. <laughs> um, another couple of things that you have to keep in mind is that it is uh, earned income, foreign earned income. So it doesn't count for rental income. It doesn't count for dividends or interest payments or anything like this. It counts for you have a job or you get paid from a company that you own in a salary 
or some type of thing like this, where you are actually working and earning, which is perfect for digital nomads. Most people are either freelancers or consultants. They have an info biz. They run their own coaching and consulting business, all of these types of things. Okay. Federal tax check. Number two, federal tax gone. We've now removed that. Your, Your obligations to the United States are now zero. Now we need to deal with the taxes that you're going to pay to the local government of the country that you're living in. Well, an offshore jurisdiction, and there's, you know, anywhere between 50 and 60 offshore jurisdictions in the world, depending how you count. Offshore jurisdiction is basically somewhere that has favorable tax laws and strong asset protection laws. I really like Panama. I mean, you can have a first world life in a developed country. I think technically it's considered a developing country, but where you would be, would be, it'd be like Miami. Like if you like, yeah, like if you're in Panama city, I mean, you're not seeing any difference. It's just like half the cost. Well, Panama follows what's called a territorial tax system. So Panama cares where the money is made, not where you are. The U.S. cares where you are, not where the money is made. So you can actually be- That's an interesting yeah, difference. There. Like hand in glove, right? So you can work yeah. for an American company, but don't live in the United States, live in Panama, and you'll have no tax obligation to Panama. So- now we've taken like, think, how much do you pay in state tax? How much do you pay in federal tax? Okay. We get rid of both of those. Now you're not going to be paying to the country that you live in and your cost of living is 50% of what it was before. Hmm. How do you think your life is going to be? What do you, what do you think you're going to be able to do? And by the road, by the way, Panama is beautiful. They have everything. Um, you're going to be driving the economy because you have rent and you have a car and you buy gasoline and you go out for dinner. So you drive the economy that way. You probably will have domestic help. Like I said, we have, we have a niñera, a nanny who helps with my daughter and teaches her Spanish and things like that. So you're helping in that way too. Also, when you live overseas and you're an expat, your insurance costs can go down considerably. I always have people talk to me about, you know, what about insurance? What about the standard of medical? Yeah. Well, for insurance, if you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance, you'll find a provider there. Family of four, we pay about $6,000 a year. That is with all the bells and whistles. That is inpatient, outpatient. That's a full drug plan. That's full dental. That's zero deductible. I mean, that's everything. I mean, I got friends in the States who are paying like 20 grand, 22 grand, 25 grand for their insurance. So you knock off 15 grand for that. I mean, these things start to add up to allow you to have really great life as an expat or a digital nomad when you're overseas. And this is the type of work that I help people with. Like, I mean, I just breeze through that in about five minutes. (laughs) Normally, those little details. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So normally what happens is... um, Someone reaches out to me. They tell me about their situation. We go back and forth a couple of times. Do I like them? Do they like me? Do we think this is going to be a good fit? If it is, I onboard them as a private client. I mean, this is billable. I I mean, I don't, people pay me for my time. And it takes about three or four months. And we go through all of these things in like very fine detail. Okay, what does it mean? How do the forms get done? Who is going to be your accountant? You know, yeah. you can't just use the guy down at H&R Block who does your domestic uh, taxes to now do your international taxes. Right. I mean, we can talk about, we, we can talk all day about the different forms. Things are different. These guys aren't going to understand it. So we need to set you up with an international accountant. Okay, the immigration work. 
Um, if you need to get a second passport, your residency, if you have to have a place yeah. to live, investing in foreign real estate, if you own precious metals, where is it going to be stored? Uh, we move that offshore. How do we do all of these things in a tax efficient and legal manner? It takes me about three months to work with a client. We get them set up, but at the end, it's done. It's like I've moved them out of the state. We've gotten rid of all of their taxes. We've set them up with their insurance. They have a legal right to live and work there. They build their business. And it's like seeing the look on their face, helping <laughs> them through this. It's like, yeah. Marissa, it's like, it's amazing. Like, I just love this type of work. I just, yeah. I just think it's so, 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 so cool. To, I love uh, how to inspired you are by it. And like you said, I know you said for like our course, if you're looking to get a job, it's like, you know, you, you go to someone who has experience and you save so much time and money by, by doing it as quickly as possible. So for, if anyone is listening, you know, there's tons of different ways to travel, go remote, but if moving offshore and, and, you know, finding different ways to eliminate taxes, because you can save so much money. Again, this is not something just to, you could, you know, I think spend 15 years trying to Google it and find the forms and do all of that. But to go to someone like Mikel who says, do this, do that. Here's a form. Here's a thing. Here's a thing. Like there's, there's so many things I think with stuff like this, that you don't know what you don't know. And to go to somebody who knows who, who will find what you don't even know to look for, who will, you know, I know even I haven't done that sort of thing, but just in terms of visas or this, anywhere I go, you know, you ask someone before you go to that country, like, what do I need to do? What are the rules? And just to have someone who's been there, done that and tell you is so helpful. I was working with a private client last week and he said, I did a, I did a 90 minute call with him at the end of 90 minutes. He said, I learned more in this call <laughs> than I did researching every night for the last seven months. hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. And it's like, well, figure out what is your time worth? What do you, right. you know, you, you're going to spend a hundred hours, 200 hours, 500 hours researching this stuff. And you're going to get the answers to questions. <laughs> exactly. And you, you might get yourself in trouble. And right. so figure out what is your hourly wage? Okay. I make 50 bucks an hour. I make a hundred bucks an hour. And it's going to take you hundreds of hours to research it. Well, wouldn't you be better off just paying someone to yeah. help you through these types of things and then spending that time to build your business or grow yeah. your presence um, and get more clients? I mean, this is what I specialized yeah. in. This is yeah. 21 years of working in this and, and figuring things out. Um, you know, I probably, whoever you are who's listening to this, I probably can't <laughs> do what you do in, in your right. life, but- this right. is what I do. This is, this is yeah. my life. And I love, and I love doing this type of work yeah. and we get real results from people. I also have a lot of people who they want to do something, but they're a bit scared and they hum and haw yeah. and, you know, they don't know the answers. So they put it off and it's been two years, three years, four years that they've been thinking about this stuff. And then it's like, they hire me and we get it done in three months <laughs> and it's like, we got the result. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's about. It. It's about the results. It's the same with coaching. There's so much with mindset stuff where you're like, I will do it. I'll figure it out. When you, when there's so many unknowns, there's so many fears and just things don't get done. So I love when you can go somewhere, find the information, get the shortcut, you really can have that momentum and move forward. And even if I think about that from the digital nomad lens, the same thing, regardless of your business, your company, let's say you're able to work remote or you have remote business or whatever it is. So many people still are so afraid to take that leap and travel because there are so many unknowns. So, you know, for anyone listening again, like listen to these podcasts, talk to these people, find the coaches, find the consultants, find the people who have done what you want to do and can help you get there faster because they're going to help eliminate all those unknowns. So yeah. a question I have for you, for someone listening. So I have a, a lot of, um, you know, hundreds of digital nomad friends, 
there's, you know, say 50% from the U.S. There's definitely a percent, let's say 10% of those maybe are doing the FEIE um, to say like, I'm only going to spend 330, you know, days or 35 days in the country, most of my time out. But a lot of them are sacrificing, uh, you know, times so where they're like, okay, I got to work around this. I can only go home these days. And then I got to get out. I got to plan around this family thing. Or like, I'd go home or I want to go to this country, but I can't, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and it is kind of stressful and it does add a layer of, you know, I guess eliminating some freedom that you know, for, for me is super important as a digital nomad that I want. So I'm curious as you're thinking, let's even back to that example of someone living in California, we're like, we are moving you to Florida so that you can do this. How do you help someone weigh the, the, the pros and the cons? Or like, when do you say it's right for someone to uproot their life or have some restrictions in order to have a tax free or benefit? Like, how do you help someone look at those trade-offs of freedom versus you know, fewer taxes or, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. So let's dig into this. So first of all, foreign earned income exclusion is a tool in a toolbox. It's not the only yes, tool. There are many correct. tools out there. There are many tools that I work with helping people to go through these types of things. Foreign earned income exclusion is one of the first things we look at because it's quite meaningful. It's I mean, yeah. $108,000, $108,700, let's call it 110 for ease of math. If you're know, married- like, Where do they come up with these numbers? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it goes up annually based on inflation. It'll go up to $3,000 right. a year. But if you're married, another side note, if you're married, it's a doubling effect. So now we're talking about, about 220000 just under 220000 right. US dollars tax-free of earned income. So as I mentioned before, I like math. 330 days is for the physical presence test. Once we've established that and you've been accepted, then we'll usually move on to the bona fide residency test. Now, the bona fide residency will allow you to spend more time in the US. You know, you can actually spend two months, three months. You know, we make a case for it. Once again, it's subjective, not objective. So that gives you a lot more flexibility. I also think in your question there, you're 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 looking at things and a negative aspect of giving up stuff, you know, <laughs> moving overseas out. and what is gonna, you know, what yeah. are you gonna be giving up? And you know, it's very strict and things like this. Listen, I'm not here to convince you of anything. Yeah. The people that I work with are stoked to move overseas. Right. They are so excited about this. This That's is not a, a negative. Idea. This is not a punishment. Oh, I don't get to spend time <laughs> in the US. This is like. The world is a big place. I want to go out there and explore. (laughs) I want to be out there and see these types of things. I want my kids to have new experiences, to meet kids from all over the world and learn different languages and the history and the culture. Look look at the difference between studying about uh, Italy from a textbook or taking your kids to Rome and and learning about it in person. I mean, like what an opportunity. Also add to that. Traveling is not easy. Okay. I'll be honest yeah. with you. It can be very tiring. You need to have a yeah. lot of patience. Um, you can struggle a lot going through these types of things. But once again, I'm not looking at, at that in a negative context. Actually, the way that my mind works is wow, what an opportunity to be closer with my wife. What yeah. a chance for me to bond with my kids. I mean, when we go through difficult situations, we actually become closer. It doesn't tear us apart. It doesn't, I mean, right. we count on each other. We, we rely on one another. There's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. Um, if you are living a life where it's like, ah, I don't see my kids. I don't know what's going on with them. I feel <laughs> disconnected from them. I'm at the office all day. 
I mean, I run a seven figure business from my kitchen table with a laptop. I mean, yeah. my kids are running around in the background half the time. Today, I had to get my wife to take the kids out. They went to the, the playground in the mall so I could do a quiet interview. We got this <laughs> nice little penthouse apartment. We're right on the beach. We're here in Brazil. You can see the background. I mean, beautiful I'm at my kitchen yes. table, right? <laughs> There's now, lots of pretty plants. This it is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I had someone the other day, I got, I get interviewed all the time. I had someone interview me and they're like, is that a, um, like a zoom, like digital <laughs> background? Backgrounds. And I was like, no, that's, 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 that's my real life. So, so don't think about these things as a negative, you know, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to be giving up stuff. I mean, yeah. I try to think about it from a different type of perspective. I am. I appreciate that. We call it so funny as a coach. I love that you called me out on that because I have so, I think that's, yeah, my own lens of like my own fears and negative thinking that I hadn't even thought about in that way. I have a lot of people come to me, um, in the coaching that I do and they're like, well, what do you do if your clients, you know, like are resistant and don't make changes. They don't do what you said. You know, it's not what I say what, what they want to do. Right. And I always say like the clients who come to me for coaching, for career help, for, you know, to become a digital nomad, they're doing it because they are so excited. They want to make a change in, in that same way. And the people, you know, I have a lot of really dear friends, close friends, who I'm like, oh, I want you to make these changes. I see for yourself. And I know you want, but they're not asking and I'm not helping them because they don't want to make those changes. And that's okay too. So I, I so appreciate that. And I love that you say, you know, the clients who are coming to you, they're like, I am ready for this. I want to make these changes. I want to do those things. So that's yeah, awesome. I get probably three or 4 million people a year who listen and read my stuff. I take on a maximum of 10 clients a month. I'm looking to work with the people who are very highly motivated, who are really wanting to make a change in their life and, and do this. That's where I'm going to be able to provide the value. I don't do consulting so I can educate people and teach them all (laughs) about these types of things. That's not what it's about. I mean, you can get education anywhere. I mean, I'm here to help walk you through the process to help, to, to support you, to hold your hand and and we go through it together. And at the end of 60 days, 120 days, it's done. And now you go on with your life and you enjoy your life and you reap the benefits. And it's like, if you're motivated, if you're listening to this episode and you're going, wow, I want these types of things. I want to have a greater connection with my family. I want to have more money in my pocket. I want to be able to invest more. I want to have more freedom. I want to eat organic food and be healthier. (laughs) I want to live in a place which is not all about keeping up with the Joneses, which is really what Canada and the United States is about. Yeah, Marissa, I'll tell you, come down to Latin America. There is no keeping up (laughs) with the Joneses. I spent a lot of time there. It's crazy. You know, it's like, they don't care. I mean, they're going to the park. They got a stereo picnics, food, pinata. <laughs> I mean, I've walked up to people who are having birthday parties. I don't know anyone there and just start talking. They give me a, a drink and you just chit chat, chit chat. And it's yeah. like, everyone's just so family orientated, yeah. um, easy to make friends. There's, there's no worries about safety. Uh, you're not bombarded on all sides by media and fear mongering. Yeah. It's just, just simpler life, you know, yeah. it's just nice. So great. So yeah, for anyone who is hearing this, um, yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll give you the information at the end on where to check out Mikkel. If this is an interesting thing for you to go text free or ask questions or see if you're right fit to work together. So as we wrap up here, coming to the end of the time, I'll ask you three quick rapid fire questions. And then at the end, we'll let you know where to find people. So the first is, You've been to many a country. I know we talked about before. You're like, there's still lots of places you want to go. If you could go to three new places 
tomorrow and it was just easy to get there. There are no restrictions. Where would you, whether it was a week, a year, it doesn't matter. What are three places you'd still love to get to? Three countries. Okay. I'll tell you what is the top of my bucket list right now, because yeah. the, the real answer is like, I mean, I want to go everywhere. I already said this. Same, same, but, same. <laughs> uh, bucket list is I'm really stoked to go to Pakistan. I've never been to Pakistan. It has a terrible reputation, which mm-hmm. I think is awesome. Like I like to go to countries that um, yeah. everybody talks crap about. And yeah. I usually go there and have an amazing experience. Yeah. So I think that that would be really, really fun to, to go and see. Also, I met tons of Pakistanis and had a great experience with them and laughed and told jokes and got along just fine. Plus, I love the food there. So I think that would be really, really neat. And I like to make up my own mind about things. I don't, I don't yeah. trust uh, the media or you know, what everyone else says. So yeah. I think that's top of the list. Uh, where else? Um, I've never been to Georgia. Georgia Mm -hmm. is really, really high on the top of my list. I have so many friends there, so many people who have um, second homes there. I think that would be pretty neat. Where else? I don't know. I think those those are the ones that I'm really looking at at the moment. Probably some other countries in Eastern Europe I haven't had a chance to travel so much into. So yeah, I don't know. I think those are ones pretty good. Those are good answers. All of of Eastern Europe that I haven't been to. I've been to some, but... And then definitely Pakistan and and certainly Georgia. Um, I want to travel more in Africa. I've been to Nigeria a couple of times. I've been to Uganda, to um, South Africa, Botswana, Zimbabwe. I've never been to Namibia. I think Namibia is supposed to be pretty cool. Mm, that one's high on my Got list. Got a good reputation. Yeah. I don't know. Lots of places. The world. You and I are the same. Like, <laughs> I want to get everywhere. Whenever I get there, that will happen. But I struggle between, I'm like, how do I go back to places that I love and always say yes to new places? That's my personal struggle. But I love your answers. Next is, what are three, this one's always so hard when people ask me, but three of your top favorite places that you have already been, whether that was living for years or visited for a day and well, for any reason. As I said, I spent two months in Morocco when I was like 19 years old. Um that was a really special experience. I really enjoyed that. I thought that um, although there was a lot of poverty there, uh, I've been back a dozen times since, there was a lot of poor people there. There's a lot of wealth there as well. Don't, don't get me wrong. But I would meet these people who had like nothing, like literally nothing. And somehow they would still invite yeah. me into their home and make me a cup of tea. And even yeah. if I didn't speak, uh, you know, their language is a mixture of Arabic, French, and Berber. It's kind of this, this into, well, it's like the mountain people. You get these (laughs) beautiful people with dark skin and like, like crystal clear blue eyes. They're, they're so gorgeous, these people. And I'd sit down with the men and we'd talk, talk, talk for two hours. And we would like pantomime and we'd take magazines and we'd like point at pictures and we'd tell stories with magazines. (laughs) That was a cool experience. I I thought that was pretty neat. Um, my time in Iran, I was in Iran in 2012, 2013, and I spent almost two weeks there and wow, such humble, down to earth, genuine, sweet people, um, learning about the history of Zoroastrianism, uh, and the, the religion before Islam came in and the culture, like the, the things that they still have today from hundreds of years ago. That's interesting. I actually went to a temple once, get this. I went to a temple and they had a fire burning 
in a Zoroastrian temple. And the fire has been burning for more than two and a half thousand years straight. And they have, they have wow. like, I guess, monks who feed the fire for two and a half thousand years straight. And people come there to pray. I mean, that's, that's wild. Crazy. I've seen someone's video post about so that. Crazy. Yeah. And then where else? I had a great time in Colombia. I spent two, two months in Colombia in 2002, 2003. Uh, I enjoyed that. I've been to Seoul, South Korea many, 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 many times. My best friend from back home, actually the godfather of my daughter lives there. And uh, he's El Salvadorian, but grew up in Canada and then moved to Korea like 15 years ago. So I used to go three times, four times a month for business deals. And then we would go out drinking and singing karaoke and yeah. eating uh, bim bim bop and going to the the bathhouse. And I mean, I just have a great time there. And my wife speaks fluent Korean Amazing. as well. So we've been there together. And yeah, it's helpful. It can really get on the ground and get the local yeah. experience. So fun. Great so answers all around. Last question. <laughs> so many good places. It's always, an I mean, it's an impossible question because everywhere it was great for whether it's the place, the people you meet, the experiences you had, they're all good for different reasons in my experience. So the last question here for somebody who might be listening to this and saying, you know, hasn't started traveling yet or hasn't taken the full leap into digital nomad life or really started working remotely while traveling when you're thinking about someone who's on the fence, should I do this or not? Should I go through all the hard things to make this happen? What piece of advice do you have for that person? Oh, just go try. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> I mean, even if you fail, yeah. even if you make giant mistakes, I mean, you're going to develop as a human being. Human beings, we yeah. we grow when we're challenged. And if you don't challenge yourself, mm -hmm. well, you're not going to grow. I mean, I'm yeah. a very, very, very confident individual. I'm very confident because I know in what my abilities are. I know who I am because I constantly put myself in difficult situations. Like I said, I haven't stopped traveling yeah. for 21 years straight now. I mean, it's not <laughs> all been rainbow and sunshine and gummy bears. And no. I mean, it just hasn't. I mean, there's <laughs> things that happen. But with that, yeah. I build character and you will too. If you yeah. go out there and start doing these types of things, you will grow as an individual. You will build character. You will meet new relationships. You might find your spouse overseas. I mean, you're just going to get yourself into all kinds <laughs> of crazy things that you can't even imagine. Yeah. And really, what is the worst that yeah. is going to happen? Like, oh, you got rid of your car and then you decided you didn't like it and you had to come back and buy a new car. Doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. stuff is stuff. Like life is about experiences. Life is about people. Go out yeah. there and meet someone. If, if this speaks to you, then I mean, just try it. Go, go try it. That's it. That's all I got for you. Fabulous advice. All those feel, fears, they feel so real. And once you move past them, a lot of people look back, they're like, that's what was holding me back. Listen, if some it. high school dropout who left school at 12 years old with a learning yeah, disability can story. do this at uh, starting <laughs> at 17 years old and uh, 16, 17 yeah. years old and travel around the world and give birth in foreign countries where you don't speak the language and work overseas. <laughs> Listen, if I can do it, you can do it. I'm sure you're, you've got a lot more. Yeah uh, going for you than I did when I started this, <laughs> you know, I really knew nothing. And the resilience it's, a, I mean, you really put your experience where it is of saying like to come from that and to have all these experiencing travel, you really do grow and overcome and learn your own confidence. So 
Fabulous answer, Mikkel. Lastly, if somebody, you, you've given some links along the way, but just in a blanket, if someone is like, want to learn from you or wants to get in touch or read your book, find your website, where okay, they find the you? The book, yeah. if you go to Amazon and you search Mikkel Thorpe, M-I-K-K-E-L, uh, and expat or Mikkel and expat secrets or just expat, I should come up. <laughs> Literally, if you put in the word expat, you'll probably find me on Google. But on Amazon, um, put in expat secrets or expat and Mikkel. Uh, the book's called Expat Secrets, How to Pay Zero Tax, Zero Taxes, Live Overseas and Make Giant Piles of Money. I do recommend that you pick that up. It is a good primer for a lot of the things that we've been discussing as well as another 10, 15 conversations that we didn't get a chance to have today, but are very valuable. The <laughs> so book many. is about four years old, but it's evergreen. A lot of the concepts, well, pretty much all of the concepts still apply to today. Um, that's going to help you a lot. I was very fortunate. The book became a number one bestseller. We've sold literally tens of thousands of copies of the book, and it's helped so many people. Um from there, subscribe to the podcast. If you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you'll be able to subscribe to the podcast or you can subscribe on your favorite podcatcher app, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, anything. I mean, we've been doing, I think, about 150 episodes over the last four or five years. So you're going to find the majority of the topics that you're going to want to hear there. Marissa's a, a a new guest on the show. So we, we talk a lot about digital nomad life and leaving your job. Amazing, amazing conversation. So come and support us and, uh, and listen to that. But I've had people like Grant Cardone on the show. I've had Jim Rogers, legendary investor on. I've had um, John Perkins who wrote Confessions of an Economic Hitman. He's a friend of mine. He spoke at my conferences before. And uh, yeah, I think that those are the best places podcast expatmoneyshow.com and book expat secrets and don't worry about all the social media and everything like that you'll find me through those two sites perfect well michael thank you so much for all of your amazing stories different viewpoints all the information about taxes i know we just scratched the surface but thank you so much for all of this and hope everyone enjoyed it we'll talk to you soon thanks so much i appreciate it all right that is a wrap on this episode with michael what an inspiring journey traveling for 21 years. I know I'm a little bit earlier in my life stage, so it's inspiring for me to hear that Mikkel has met a spouse, had a family, had kids, keeps traveling the world for all of his time with no plans to slow down. Maybe I'll settle down one day, maybe I won't, but it's great to know that there's an option either way. And for anyone listening who is also thinking maybe the travel lifestyle is for someone else who has more experience, more education, more this, more that, Mikkel's story is so fantastic to see that you can go from high school dropout to a seven-figure business with tons of different jobs in between. So this lifestyle is absolutely obtainable for anyone. It just takes the courage and the drive if you want to do it, as we talked about with Mikkel. Also, Mikkel talked a lot about very advanced, detailed ways to um, you know, do different things with taxes and offshore's account, offshore accounts and businesses and all of that. If you are listening and you are in that stage where that is something important to you, absolutely chat with Mikhail. He is an expert in this space. If you're just getting started, um, don't worry or get overwhelmed by those logistics. You absolutely can still keep your residence where you are. I have done that so far while I've traveled on tourist visas and things like that while still being taxed in the U.S. normally. So there's tons of different options and we hope just to provide all different resources 
as you get started so you can make the best decisions for yourself. So reach out to me or to Mikkel if you have any questions at all. And we hope to see you traveling the world very soon. Have a great day. Bye.